Well, good morning, Southwinds. I was just thinking right now that, um, you know, maybe we need to have a name for this service. Um, you know, for you who have been braving the elements and making it out here for our outdoor services. And when I started, I was thinking of a different name, but the name that presents it to me to me now um, could be the Frozen Chosen. Um, I, I don't know. Is that, how, do you, how do you like that one? So... Hopefully that won't hold for very much longer, but I do want to welcome you. I do want to say thank you for coming. I do want to uh, appreciate you uh, for being willing to brave the elements because of the importance of, of worshiping our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And um, we are so glad to see you. Um, I want to say one other thing before uh, we get started with the message. And if you want to get your Bibles out and open, uh, it's going to be Isaiah 40, verses 1 through 11. Uh, there are notes that are on our app if you'd like to do that as well. Uh, but uh, I want to just give you a little bit of an update um, regarding our end-of-year giving. And just to let you know, um, you are all amazing. Um, our December giving was up just incredibly from what it typically is. Many, many, many of you gave above and beyond and just... Um, made a real difference. We believe that we are in a good position for refinancing. Uh, that process is underway. Um, and so just keep praying about it, that God gives us favor with a lending institution and allows us to uh, be able to, to uh, do that. But you've done your part, put us in position, we believe, and I hope to share some good news with you very soon. Amen? Praise the Lord. Hey, by the way, if, if you feel the need to like stand up and say amen or something like that during the service, but you really just want to get warm, uh, I won't care. So, all right, well, let's dig in. You know, uh, there was a survey that came out a couple of weeks ago, and it said that 91% of Americans were looking forward to 2021. And the only thing I wanted to know when I read that was what were the other 9% thinking, Right? I mean, I, I think that for a very, 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 very long time, 2020 will be the meme for everything that's terrible, horrible, and no good and very bad, from pandemics to lockdowns uh, to economic recession to unemployment to social unrest to fires uh, to political strife. I mean, what wasn't touched? The Washington Post uh, recently asked people to come up with a word or phrase to describe 2020, and they got thousands of submissions. Here are the top three words exhausting, lost, and chaotic. And I think we'd agree, right? How many of you, um, you don't have to admit it, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I, I'm wondering if you ever saw the ad for Match.com that came out in December courtesy of Ryan Reynolds. I can hear the laughter some of you did because in this, this dating app um, ad, um, Satan finds his perfect match. It's this girl whose name is 2020. And uh, the ad was called A Match Made in Hell. And, uh, you know, just over a week into 2021, it doesn't really seem much better, does it? Have you seen the meme that's already out there that says, I would like to cancel my subscription to 2021. I've experienced the free seven-day trial, and I am not interested. <laughs> I mean, that's just kind of how it is right now. And I've been listening to people a lot these last few months. I've been reading about what people are thinking, many of us, and there's certain themes that just keep emerging. People say things like, emotionally, I just feel like I'm in exile. 
locked down, missing family and friends, working from home. And, and exile is a good word to describe what so many of us are feeling. Other people say it's like I'm in limbo, right? It's like I'm on hold. Life is on hold. It's like, it's like we're in this in-between time. You know, real life was pre-COVID and post-COVID whenever we get there. And right now it's like we're stuck in between. And when will this end? And exile and limbo and on hold and in between, all those all those words describe how many of us feel right now. But I have good news on this morning. And the good news is there is a chapter in God's word that offers so much hope to people like us. And it's Isaiah 40. And Isaiah 40 was written specifically to people living literally in exile, living in and in between time. Isaiah uh, lived and he wrote probably between the years about 740 and 700 B.C. And he was writing to a nation facing God's judgment. And if you look at Isaiah and study the whole prophecy, the first part of it, Isaiah 1 through 39, prophesied basically what a holy God said he would do to his people who were refusing to repent. And this prophesied judgment was going to culminate in a future exile to the land of Babylon. Now, historically, we know that exile began in 597 B.C., but the second part of Isaiah, which is chapters 40 to 66, has a very different feel. And you read it and you'll sense it. You can kind of tell it seems to be different. And it was actually written prophetically more than a century before the people who were actually its intended audience um, were to actually see and hear the words. These are the people who were going to live through the exile. Now, because we live on this side of their exile, we know that it was going to last 70 years. But they didn't know that. To them, it felt like they were stuck, on hold, in limbo, living in this in-between times. I mean, they were literally in exile. When would they get back to Jerusalem? Would they ever get back to Jerusalem? Did God know how they felt? Had God forgotten about them? And that's why God inspired Isaiah to write the words we're going to read and study this Sunday and next. We're going to do two, two weeks in this incredible chapter. And I think it's kind of like God was saying, Isaiah, my people feel like I've abandoned them. They don't know when what they're going through is going to end. And so I want you to speak comfort to them. I want you to encourage them. I want you to strengthen them. And that's why I'm calling our two-week study Comfort and Strength for 2021, because that's what we all need. Amen? I mean, after 2020, we need comfort and strength. And today, we're going to focus on comfort. And next week, we're going to focus on strength. So maybe you know this, but Isaiah 40, verse 1, begins with those familiar words, comfort, comfort my people. And it's my people living in exile, feeling like their lives are on hold. Isaiah, I want you to speak comfort to them. Now, some of you heard those four words, and your mind went somewhere that my mind went. And I've just uh, explained to you in giving those words the historical context for the very first line of the very famous musical composition called Handel's Messiah, right? And we hear that a lot around Christmas time. I myself love to listen to Handel's Messiah. Maybe it's partly because uh, Dana and I had our very first date going to Handel's Messiah 36 years or so ago. Um, which is kind of a cool thing for us. I know it may not be for you, but that's not my problem. Um, but I think I especially, 
I especially love the feeling of anticipation as the Messiah begins. And if you've ever been there, you know what it is. And the audience is filed in. They're taking their seats. The orchestra finishes tuning. There's this rustle of pages as everyone turns to the first part of the folio. And, and then this tenor walks out on stage and begins to sing that first line. Comfort. Comfort my people. And if you know the words and you know the, the music, you know how beautiful it is and how it seems to capture what God was saying in verse 1 to those people living in exile. And also, here's the point, what he is saying to you and to me today in 2021 as this year begins. So what we're going to see today is in verses 1 through 11 is God is giving us three sources of comfort. And, and I really believe if you will lean into them, they will give you comfort for this time when life seems to be on hold. I really believe if you will practice and live out and trust in what God is saying here, it will change your 2021. So here's the first source of comfort. If you're writing it down, um, maybe you're trying to write it down, but maybe your hands are too frozen to write it down. <laughs> You can get the tape recording later. Um, the first source of comfort is God's grace is greater than my failures. God's grace is greater than my failures. Now, I want to take you back to actually the Messiah for a moment. And Smithsonian Magazine uh, recently did this fascinating article on George Frederick Handel, who's the composer of the Messiah. And they talked about some really interesting history. Maybe you know this, but the, the premier performance of Messiah, the very first time it was publicly uh, done, was not in a capital city like London or Paris or Rome. It was done in Dublin, Ireland. And at this time, Dublin was a very poor city. And it wasn't even performed in a church or a concert hall. It was performed in a music hall where they typically premiered more, you know, popular level entertainment. And the, the question would be, why? Well, here's the reason. Handel wanted this to be a benefit performance for a prison, for a debtor's prison. And, and if you know anything about the history of that day, in those days, if you were in debt, you could be thrown into prison until you could pay your debts sometime for life. I mean, try to imagine if you're in debt and you're thrown in prison, how... Does that help you pay off your debts? Doesn't make a lot of sense. Is that how they did it? And it was really tough. It was really horrible. They, they, they put people into prisons where the cells were often just these pits uh, dug in the ground with bars on top. And, and as usual, if you want to see the pictures, you can go to the uh, online service where we can show some of these things. And they would just dump people into them, sometimes hundreds of people. And, and people just live sometimes for years in these debtors' prisons. Now, Handel said the world premiere of Messiah was going to be a benefit concert in Dublin to release people from debtors' prison. 100% of the proceeds went to this, and hundreds of debtors were set free and brought back to their homes. And I love this because this is what Jesus the Messiah came to do, to set us free from our debt of sin, set us free from our debt of shame so that he could bring us home. And that's what God is saying. Listen to verse 2, Isaiah 40. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sin. I want to pause there for a second because it could sound at first reading like God's punished her, and so by their punishment they've paid for their sins. But it says, listen, did you notice, her sin has been paid for. 
And Isaiah points this out even more later on in his prophecy. And we'll talk about this next week, how there is one who is coming and God will put on him the burden of all our sin. And he will pay all our debts. The one who paid for our sins is the Messiah. Look at verse 3. It says, a voice of one calling. In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And, and he is saying, our God is coming to save you. And, and, you know, if you go to the New Testament, in every single one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they relate these verses to a man named John the Baptist. And he was the messenger. He was the one calling out in the desert, preparing the way for the Lord. And he was the one who said of Jesus, this is the one we've been waiting for. We've been waiting for the long-expected Messiah who would be born to die, who would go to the cross to show that God's grace is greater, greater than your sin, greater than your shame, greater than your sorrow. And I don't know, some of you may be sitting here thinking right now, it's pretty easy for you to say, Mike, you know, you're a pastor and, you know, like you live your life up here where all the angels fly around all the time at the church. And you don't know what I've done. And I don't know. But here's what I'm telling you today. God knows. And there's nothing that will keep God from bridging the gap between you and him. And we see that in this next verse. It shows us how much God wants to reach you and forgive your sin and bring you into a relationship with him. Verse 4 says, every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And this is just simply saying there's no mountain too high, no valley too low, no ocean too wide to keep God away from you. And you're, are you starting to sing the song? Ain't no valley low enough, ain't no mountain high enough. Well, that's how much God loves you. And then in verse 5, it says, In that day when the Messiah comes, the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And that last phrase means we have God's word on it. And God's word, friends, to you is this. God's grace is greater than all our sin. And this is why Jesus was born that first Christmas. And I was kind of thinking this week, maybe that's part of why we get reminded of that reality at the end of every year, right before we begin a new year. Maybe every year as we're starting a new year, we need to hear a word that says God's grace is greater than all my failures. Anybody want to amen? And that leads us right into the second point that Isaiah makes here. This is the second source of comfort no matter what I face, God's power is stronger than all my weaknesses. So God's grace is greater. God's power is stronger. Listen to the first part of verse 6. It says, a voice cries out. And in other words, God is calling Isaiah to cry out. Isaiah responds, and I said, what shall I cry? Well, here's the first part of his message. All people are like grass. And all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. In verse 8, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. So what's he saying here? Well, to Isaiah's first hearers, he was telling them specifically this. He was saying, Babylon is a world power now. They overwhelm you. They seem so enormous, but it won't last forever. They have conquered you now, but one day God will breathe on them, and they will dry up and blow away. 
And he's simply reminding them that all civilizations, great civilizations, eventually die. And that's the truth. You can look it up. There is a pile of ruins in Iraq right now where Babylon used to be. That's all it ever is now. And you can go to the next great civilization down the road to civilization of Greece that used to be at the center of world history. It was the birthplace of democracy. It was the birthplace of of philosophy with Socrates and Plato and Aristotle. And today, the center of all of that culturally, the Acropolis in Athens, is just ruins, just a tourist attraction. Same thing is true in Rome. The, The Roman Empire dominated the world for centuries. And if you go to the street where the forum in Rome was, this used to be like the nerve center of Western civilization, but now it's a street of ruins, by the way, also populated by a notoriously huge population of feral cats. And even our own nation, the United States of America, we are historically the longest running nation in world history that is functioning under one single constitution. And and for all of our failings, it has been a remarkable almost 250 years. But Christians who are biblical in their thinking and who are perceptive and paying attention don't have to look too deeply to see the cultural rot. And one day, however long it may take, the United States of America will be a historical curiosity. And see, all of this, this is actually, all of this is Isaiah's point in these verses. The kingdoms of this world may be overwhelming in human power and human glory now, but only God's word lasts forever. And that, and here's the point, don't miss this, that should comfort us. Because this means that God's promises to us will last everything that opposes us in this life. Does that help? Even in 2021, if you understand it and believe it, it should. But you know, it's um, not only earthly kingdoms that fade, right? You and I fade too. It says all people are like grass. You fade, I fade, we all fade. The glory of our youth and strength, it fades. You know, just last month, I, I turned 49 again, actually for the 12th time, and I hope you're laughing with me, not at me, but, but that's life, right, in this broken, fallen world. And Isaiah is also saying, I know you're getting old, and I know the glory of these empires is incredible, and I know the promises of God sometimes sound like mere words. These, these promises that, next, that this exile one day will end, that one day you won't be living on hold and in limbo, that one day God will bring a Messiah, and one day God will make all things right, because it is hard to see the promises when you're in exile, right? I mean, when you're in exile, the promises look temporary and the problems look permanent, the reality is it's all temporary. It's only God's promise that lasts, and God's promise will last and outlast everything else. And that is a source of comfort to know that God's grace is greater than all my failures and that God's power is greater than all my weaknesses. That helps even after 2020, even in 2021. 
It leads us to the third source of comfort we find in these verses. You can also write this down, and it's this. God's love is closer than I can imagine. I want you to listen to what Isaiah writes in these last three verses. Verse 9 says, You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. And God was saying to those first hearers of Isaiah's prophecy 2,600 years ago, people living in exile, impoverished, discouraged, losing their hope. He's saying, look up. Good news. Your God is still in control. And there's no empire that can defeat him. There's no evil that can thwart him. So do not be afraid. People of God, here is your God. He's saying this is who God is, and he's also saying, don't miss this. He's saying if you have good news, don't be bashful about sharing it. And so I want to say to us Southwinds, we have good news, amen? So share it. Lift up your voice. You have good news. Do not be afraid. God's people should not be living in fear even now. Our God is in control. We need to shout out this good news because people around us need hope. So what is the news we are to share? What Isaiah is telling us right here is that our God doesn't just rule from on high, way up in the heavens, untouched by the pain of this world. Our God is a God who comes to us and he brings himself. He brings his presence and his presence is our joy. He brings his love. How close is God's love? Well, it's so close that he doesn't send a messenger to deliver the good news. He comes himself. And again, you see, we know something about that today that those people who first heard those words didn't know because, praise God, we live on the other side of Christmas. Aren't you glad? We know that God has come, and he came as a little baby, and he lived his life among us, and he died on the cross for our sins, paying for our forgiveness, opening up the way for us to truly know the Father. Jesus came, and because he came as a man, this means everything. It means God understands us. It means God knows our weaknesses. It means God has felt our temptations. God understands you. And Isaiah, in this chapter... And this is where it all starts, and it's gonna, we're going to get into it more next week. He describes God in a remarkable, remarkable way, and we'll see more of that next week. But in verses 10 and 11, he starts this description, and he paints this incredible portrait of God. And I want you to, to listen to what he says. It begins this way, verse 10. See, look, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. And so he starts off talking about God's power. He's he's a God who's sovereign. He's a God who rules with a mighty arm. He's a God who will reward and recompense, and those two words are synonymous here in this context. And he rewards those who love him, who trust him. He's God. He rules all things. His power is infinite. He's in control. He is sovereign. But then in verse 11, did you see it? Have you, have you noticed it? It's so amazing. Isaiah tells us that our sovereign Lord is also a shepherd, a tender, and a patient shepherd. 
Verse 11 says, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. And if you're doing some Bible study right here, I want you to notice something that you might have skipped right over. But the word arm is in both of those verses. Did you see that? The word arm is in both verses. Same God. In verse 10, it's the mighty arm. In verse 11, it's the merciful, tender arm. It's the arm in which he gathers lambs. Who are the lambs? Well, why don't you all together right now say, I am. It's us. I mean, can you feel the tenderness of that? This is a very personal picture. You know, you, you can only, a shepherd can only pick up one lamb at a time. It's personal. It's intimate. And, of course, God comes for all of us, and he's sovereign. But it's just picking, uh, picturing for us this idea that God cares for us personally and intimately, each and every one of us. He carries his lambs, Isaiah says, close to his heart. Right here. It says, God gently leads those who have young. In other words, there's special treatment for special needs. And maybe some of you listening right now, it's, it's like just a sh- like a shepherd would say, you know, this one just had a baby and it's still nursing, so let's give it special care. Keep this one really close to the shepherd. It's just telling us that God has special care for those who hurt. Psalm 34, 18 says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. And, you know, truth is, for some of us, 2020 has been so much harder. And we all feel like we're living in exile. But some of us have had to face death. Some of us have lost our jobs. Some of us are walking to the dissolution of a marriage and a family. Some of us have gotten very, very sick. And I'm just telling you today, right now, hear the word of the Lord for you. God wants to comfort you with his love. He is closer to you than you can even imagine. And part of what's so incredible about these two verses, I hope that you're feeling it, is is the juxtaposition of truth here. It's putting these two things together. Uh, God is so powerful and at the same time so tender with the weak. He is the sovereign shepherd. His arm rules. His arm carries lambs close to his heart. It kind of made me think some of you will remember those those pretty famous Ann Geddes photographs. Have you you seen those? You know, the dad that's holding the baby, these dramatic black and white photos holding the baby, little tiny baby in his hands. These verses made me think of those and and. It's just reminding us God came to hold us. Why? Well, it's because of his love. God's love is closer than you can imagine. And, and I remember holding my own kids when they were newborns. I remember how much joy that gave me. But, you know, even still today when my kids, all four are grown now, three of them are married now, I have two grandkids. And by the way, special announcement in case you didn't know, two more are coming in 2021. So far. We're praying for three. But don't tell the people whom that applies to. Just one's coming next month, uh, one's coming in August, and we're excited about that. But, you know, when my kids text me and when my kids call me, when they drop by to see me, it, 
is still so precious, and I still enjoy that. I love them so much, and, and I think you can understand that that love of a parent for a child is a, it's just a small picture of God's great love for you and for me. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible is Zephaniah 317. Who's done their devotions in Zephaniah recently? One person, I see that hand. Um, Well, Zephaniah 317 says, you might want to memorize this, some of you. It says, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. Anybody need to be quieted and stilled your heart right now with God's love. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Just try to wrap your mind around that. Never forget that you are God's joy. He loves you. He understands you. He cares for you. And so whatever guilt you're struggling with right now, whatever shame is weighing you down, whatever impossibilities are looming large before you, friends, listen, keep looking up, keep looking at him. In the end, what Isaiah, I think, is telling us is this. Each one of us needs one thing more than any other thing, and that is to behold our God. That is to see our God, because nothing is more important for us to than to look on him and to gaze on him, to consider his beauty, to consider his glory. There is nothing, friend, that is better for your soul than to behold your God. And part of what that means is this. You can't do what I just said unless you do this. You got to take your eyes off yourself. Take your eyes off your circumstances. Take your eyes off your enemies and put your eyes on him. Behold him. See him. And I want to ask you right now, and this is a point of application to think about and to consider. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Who or what are you beholding right now? What is it that you are gazing on? And maybe you are saying in, in your mind, this is the biggest thing in my life. And I want to tell you, if it's anything other than God, that thing you're beholding will break your heart, will let you down. So don't behold a relationship or even a marriage or a family. Don't behold a career or a retirement portfolio. Don't behold your health. Don't behold a government because all those things will fail. All those things will let you down. Behold your God. Look on him. See him. And I hope you understand that what I'm talking about is so much larger than mere positive thinking. And we are overrun with this kind of thing right now. Uh, There was an article I saw last month. A headline said, toxic positivity is on the rise. And I thought, that's interesting. What a phrase, toxic positivity. Are you guilty of spreading it? The subhead of this article said, the simple truth is we can't heal grief with cat memes or fix heartbreak with good vibes. 
And that is so true. And friends, that's all about all the world has. That is why so many people are feeling so hopeless right now because they can't see their way past this mess that's all around us. And what we, what, what we really need when we are in our darkest moments, we need something much, much deeper, much, much richer, much more true than that because the reality is we don't need something. We need someone. We need someone to come and sit with us in our sorrow, someone to come and, and comfort us in our shame, someone who can do more, actually, than just empathize with us. We need someone with power, and the only someone who does that, who's able to do that, is God. And so we need to learn how to focus our minds on God, to train ourselves, to have our eyes fixed on him, not just positive thinking, not just good vibes. And by the way, this is why, as your pastor, I'm always telling you, you need to be in God's word. You need to be reading God's word. You cannot behold God apart from the intake of the Bible, his word, the word of God. Amen? This is actually... Also why we're going to start a new series in two weeks, January 24th, through the book of Philippians. And Philippians is a very beloved letter. And if you don't know, it was a letter the Apostle Paul wrote in an unbelievably difficult season. He was in prison. You know, how many of us actually think our lives are worse than that? Probably not. And yet, if you know the letter, you know Philippians is filled with joy in fact, joy is the central theme of this letter. Philippians is all about how to live when life seems to have you imprisoned, how to stay on mission in sharing God's good news, how to keep your focus, how to live in the face of opposition, how to live in community with other Christ followers, which is much harder than we often think, how to be content, how to be free of anxiety, and how to be full of joy. Anybody want to learn any of that stuff or be reminded about some of those things? That's what we're going to be doing. It's going to be a life-changing study for us here at Southwinds. See, Jesus, he came. He's the one who came to reveal the Father to us, and he actually describes himself as this good shepherd who was born on Christmas Day, so that he could pick us all up and take care of us as a shepherd like his little lambs. And that's what Isaiah is saying to the lost sheep of Israel. That's what he's saying to you and to me. And I don't have my hand in the, head in the sand. I, I know it looks bad right now. I know it is bad right now. But I am telling you, on the authority of God's word, your Babylonian captivity, your COVID pandemic exile, God our Father still has you and me and the whole world in his hands. And believing this makes all the difference. So my exhortation, my word to you today is to believe it, to receive it, to lean on it, to trust in it. God's grace is greater than all my failures. God's power is stronger than all my weaknesses. God's love is closer to me than I can even imagine because when I believe these things, when I lean into these things, when I trust in these realities, then I find comfort. Then I find hope. Will you believe what God tells you in his word here? He's given you truth to comfort your heart, so place your trust in him. Place your trust in the one he has revealed himself to be, especially in the person of his son, Jesus.
And to all, all of you people who feel like your life is on hold, who feel like you're in limbo, who feel like you're in exile, God is just calling out to you and saying, I'm here and I love you and there's nothing that will keep me from you. Nothing that will separate me from your, you with my love. Let's pray together. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your love for us. I want to thank you for your grace that is so great. You sent Jesus, Messiah, to forgive all our sins through a sacrifice on the cross, to give us power for living that's stronger than anything, to surround us with, with love, tender love that's closer than anything. And so, Lord, my prayer this week is that we will believe this and we will share this, this message of hope and comfort. And we ask, Father, that you would help us as we live it and believe it to spread this word to others, to share it with them. Lord, I ask you especially to bless everyone's health. Lord, I ask you to comfort those who mourn and to strengthen those who are weak. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.